0: Thanks for listening to our Church in the City podcast. In our series, Unto All The Sending and Saving Heart of God in Jonah, we're unpacking God's intentional partnership with his people to outwork his desire for everyone to come to know him and discovering that no one is left unimpacted. Turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. We're going to bring the saga of Jonah to a close today in our series, Unto All, the Sending and Saving Heart of God in, in Jonah. Um, I will, I, I, I do want to be honest, I, I have a, just a sweet sense of what the Lord's been doing today. And the Lord's been dealing very intentionally with us. And uh, so I know that worship's gone longer and we've, we've celebrated communion and our devotion to Christ and that as a family together. And I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zoom a little bit uh, as I've been sort of... Um, editing my notes in my head, but I'm going to zoom through some things because I think the Lord wants to highlight a few things uh, about the book of Jonah as a whole. But we need to take a look at chapter 4 together briefly to get the whole picture of that. So turn, as I mentioned, to Jonah chapter 4. It's been kind of an up and down account for Jonah, hasn't it? We've left Jonah in some pretty interesting places. We've picked him back up and continued the story, uh, and The up and downness has been a result of Jonah's choice to either obey God or disobey God. And to Jonah's credit, the results of whatever he chooses tend to be pretty spectacular. You know, if he disobeys God, there's fireworks. When he obeys God, there's fireworks. Uh, So before we dive totally into Jonah chapter 4, let's just remind ourselves very briefly. I know that if you've been here for the last month, you could probably preach the next few sentences that I'm about to say probably better than I can. But let's remind ourselves just again what the Lord has been speaking to us through our preaching series this calendar year. And that is wrestling with this question of fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. Fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. The Great Commission that we see Jesus declare clearly at the end of the book of Matthew, but we know that has always been a part of God's heart, always been part of his pursuit of us as his people, uh, 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 and for us to partner with in pursuing the lost, and that is to go into all the world, make disciples, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded, and that great promise at the end, I'm with you till the very end of the age. And to couple that with what Jesus declares is the greatest command, and it's two part. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In essence, to love God and love people. So as we wrestle with this question, we, we reminded ourselves last week that what we really want to do is make sure we have God's understanding of God, that he's absolute, he's king, he is unimpeached, the one true God, and to have God's understanding of people, his pursuit of us, his pursuit of the lost, our partnership with him as his church. So in that context, we find ourselves studying Jonah together. We're in the Old Testament where God is busy revealing himself himself and his character through his chosen people, Israel. And he's aligning all events to the pinnacle of the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, as Messiah and as the one true way for anyone to know God, have access to, the, to God, to know the Father. And we know that in Jonah, zeroing in, I know you can preach this just, just like probably better than me, but in Jonah we are in a prophetic book. And we know that the office of the prophet, especially in the Old Testament, was to declare unto God's people, and to anyone really, turn to God or return to God. You've turned away. God's judgment is coming. His desire is to relent. So the word of the Lord that phrase, would come unto the prophet, and the prophet would declare unto the people, this is God's message. This is the destruction that's coming. Remember his covenant with you. Remember his holiness. Remember your devotion to him and turn or return back to God so that he may relent because God's desire is to relent. He's a delivering God. That's the prophetic nature Of the book of Jonah that we're in. And we've seen that the book of Jonah is in a narrative form. That means it's a story. And we've said that word story can sometimes come across funny because it means fiction. And it doesn't mean fiction when we're dealing with scripture. You guys remember our definition of story for scripture? It's a series of true events through which God reveals himself and his character. A series of true events through which God is revealing himself and his character. And so we've got to flex that story muscle, open our hearts, ask questions, ask why God is choosing to include the events, the conversations, the happenings that he is in scripture for us even this day to have access to and to know everything about it is intentional. And then when we realize that and we've asked deeply, we can turn our lives in light of what God is revealing about his character. Cool? I'm zooming. You're welcome. So, in Jonah chapter 4, you know, just to say kind of where we've been with Jonah up to this point, the, the, the kind of strange thing to me about Jonah chapter 4 is that all the dramatic action of the story of Jonah has kind of come in for a landing by the time we, we reach Jonah 4. Let's, let's recap it briefly. Again, you can probably preach this, but just in case. We know, top of the book. Everything starts with the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And what's the word of the Lord? It's not good for Jonah. It's go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And why is that? What's significant about God saying preach against it? It doesn't mean Jonah go and just tell Nineveh that I'm done with them and, you know, get down in the bunker because I'm bringing fire. It means come and say what a prophet says. Repentance is on the table. Your wickedness has come up before God, but his desire is to relent. So repent. It's not my fault that those two rhyme. But repent so God can relent. But remember, this is dangerous for Jonah. Because Assyria, of which Nineveh is the capital, is the greatest empire of the day. And they are vicious they're terrifying, they use excessive violence, they are a conquering people. They enslave everyone that they come up against. They will eventually, a few hundred years from now, do it to Israel. And this is where Jonah's been called. And Jonah doesn't want to go. And we're going to find out a little bit about Jonah's thinking back in chapter 1 when he starts to disobey when we read chapter 4 today. But Jonah would rather keep God's salvation, God's glory, God's goodness, to himself and to the people of Israel. And so he invests his time and his money and his planning and his resources into disobeying God. And he travels down to Joppa, he buys a ticket, boards a ship, and he starts sailing for the other end of the known world in Tarshish. And along the way, God gets Jonah's attention, not with a whisper, but with a storm. And as through a series of events on board, all the sailors are calling out to their God, your God, my God, whose God, anybody's God, and Jonah comes up, and through a series of casting lots, because God can speak through any means, the lot falls to Jonah, and Jonah says, I've sinned against my God, and you got to throw me overboard, that's what you have to do to calm this storm, and the sailors do, the storm is calmed, and they are so amazed At the glory of Jonah's God, that they declare him to be the one true God and sacrifice unto him and make vows. And even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience and running the complete other way, God is glorifying himself and drawing men to himself. That's kind of (laughs) cool. So the sea is calm. They're on the ship. They're devoting themselves to the Lord. Jonah's a few yards away in the Mediterranean, I guess. Treading water, not in a good spot. And what does God do? In his infinite mercy, he sends, I'm way off my notes, he sends a big fish to come and swallow Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And inside that fish, we learned last week, what does Jonah do? He does two very important things. Firstly, he reacquaints himself with the true character and nature of God. He reacquaints himself with God. He reminds himself who God is. And in light of that reacquaintance, Jonah surrenders to God. He decides whose will will be done. Jonah surrenders. He was on that before side of obedience. And right when Jonah does that, the fish spits Jonah out onto dry land. And after a nice shower, hopefully, the word of the Lord comes a second time to Jonah. And we talked about how this is the the unmerited patience of God with Jonah, that the exact same word would come a second time. And Jonah receives it, and Jonah obeys and goes to Nineveh. In spite of all the dangerous factors, in spite of his resentment, he goes to Nineveh and obeys. And then the, in chapter 3, it says, Jonah proclaimed, and then the best four words to me in the whole book the Ninevites believed who? God. Jonah proclaims, the Ninevites believed God, because it was God's message always. The word of Jonah didn't come to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And we know what a prophet proclaims. Always the word of the Lord. And we are seeing all hands on deck repentance in Nineveh. The king issues a proclamation. Get down in the dust. Cover with sackcloth. We are fasting. Who knows? Maybe God will relent and have compassion on us. And when God sees Nineveh's repentance, he relents and has compassion. Why? Because God is always a delivering God. His heart is always to deliver. And salvation has come radically to the great city of Nineveh. And that is where we are at the end of chapter 3. And all the dramatic action of this great and back and forth story has seemingly resolved. All the circumstantial questions have been answered. And, you know, honestly, if if you're asking me, I think the end of chapter 3 is actually a great place to end the book of Jonah. To kind of bring it to an end and just go, man, Nineveh believed God, he relented, that is great. You know what, Holy Spirit, really nice job inspiring this book. I'm just like, really great work, really great work, fantastic. And then we see there's a fourth chapter, (laughs) It must be the credits, right? We must roll the credits of Jonah right there. It's going to be a little victory tour, a little celebration of Nineveh's repentance and the resulting salvation. We're just going to take a chapter and celebrate how awesome that is, right? It has to be. That has to be what it is. So let's start and let's preach on celebrating Nineveh's salvation today, right? So last part of chapter 3, God relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pick it up, chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. We were in such a nice place. <laughs> we, we, were, we were doing so well, Jonah, <laughs> for like five verses. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. We're getting a sense of the inside of what Jonah was thinking while he was acting back in chapter 1. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than it is to live. (sighs) I cannot bear Nineveh's salvation. Does anything go naturally with Jonah? Can anything anything just be like... The word of the Lord came to Jonah, he obeyed, we're good. <laughs> no, not in this book. So what's, what's happening here? Well, down south we would say that Jonah's having a good old-fashioned hissy fit. <laughs> and it is as hilarious as it is dangerous to the heart of ascending and saving God. Listen to verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall, to prevent, by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from from sending calamity. Yes, it was dangerous to go, but Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want God's salvation to come to his worst enemy. And why is Jonah thinking this? And maybe the bigger question is, okay, he's thinking this, but why is it scripturally significant for God to include it so that we can know Jonah was thinking it? Why do we need to be aware of what Jonah was thinking? Why does God include it? Well, we've mentioned before, as we as we've been studying Jonah, that yes, God is after Nineveh, God is going after Nineveh, but He's also out to refine Jonah. He's after Jonah, too. Jonah may be a part of God's people, but that doesn't mean God's done being after you. And this has ramifications for us as the church reaching the lost. The lost are not the only ones God is after. And there's something about Jonah's heart that still needs refining, even though obedience has technically already taken place. Nineveh is saved. The action of obedience has taken place. There's, there's resolution in that sense. But does Jonah's heart fully reflect God's heart even on the other side, as we looked at last week, the other side of obedience? Does Jonah's heart reflect God's heart yet? There's still something that God needs to teach Jonah. And it's something that God needs to teach us. That's why we have chapter 4. That's why it's not the credits. Now I want to submit to you today that the sending and saving heart of God is, as our series name denotes, unto all. Unto the lost, it's unto Jonah, and it's unto you. Now the first rule of public speaking is that you never use the word you, because then it like puts up this wall and I'm making you uncomfortable. Heck yeah, I'm making you uncomfortable because God is after you. I'll say us every once in a while, I'll include myself, but I'm just saying God is after you. And his pursuit of you has not stopped. You know, chapter four, if we're not careful, can seem disjointed and kind of out of place in Jonah because all of that action has has swelled up and finished. And we were building to this question, we admitted last week, the whole book, the question of will Jonah obey God? And he did. But there's something beyond that act of obedience that God needs to teach Jonah and us, and it's something of carrying God's heart for the lost. His love for them. His desire to know them and to seek and save them. His desire for relationship with them, which is the purpose for which, by the way, he created them, just like it is the purpose he created you and me. So we're beyond this question of, will Jonah obey God? That's swelled up and finished. And now we're to this question of, will Jonah actually carry God's heart? And both are equally important. They're both equally important to God, or this book of the Bible would have ended by now. Because in God's eyes, the question of our heart is significant to the action of obedience. The question of heart is significant to the action of obedience. So let's briefly unpack the rest of chapter 4 and see what God is illustrating so that we too can be sure not to just be obeyers, not a word, but for our purposes it is, so that we're not just obeyers of God, but carriers of God's heart. That's what he's trying to teach us. So let's finish reading chapter 4. It is, is going to be a little bit longer, but hang in there and get that and, and flex your story muscle and let's ask and pick up on what God is doing. Let's pick it up in, in, in verse 4. But the Lord replied... So remember Jonah's hissy fit, right? Jonah's had his hissy fit. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Just really quick, um, when I was younger, uh, my mom is is here today. Um, when I was younger, I, I, went, by, I went by Jamie, and um, so whenever I would have a bad attitude or, you know, I was having a hissy fit, my mom had this phrase that she would say to me, and it was, Jamie, push the happy button. <laughs> Never found out where the happy button was, but <laughs> I learned to push it. God is starting to say that to Jonah here. Jonah, push the happy button. (laughs) Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, listen, had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to, of course, die, and said, it would be better for me to die than it would be to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right? For you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, verse 10, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals? What is happening here? So Jonah preaches to Nineveh, and Nineveh begins to repent. And Jonah, we can gather, exits the city at some point. He didn't want to be there. We know that. So at some point, in the midst of Nineveh's beginning to repent, or however that goes, Jonah exits the city. He finds a place east of the city to sit down to see what would happen to the city. That is, is God going to destroy it? And you know what? If he is, I'd kind of like to have a nice view, (laughs) But God doesn't destroy it, and he relents. And at the same time, Jonah is finding a good city-destroying watching spot. uh, God provides a leafy plant to give him shade. And Jonah's glad. It's nice to have shade. So Jonah complains to God about God's unmerited grace and mercy to Nineveh while sitting in the unmerited gift of shade... That God has given him as he's sitting just outside the city. We're working on the heart here. Push the happy button. So, for the sake of example, then God takes away the shade. God provided a worm, God provided a scorching wind. It's his prerogative. And Jonah, who has a penchant for hyperbole, wants to die even though he just almost died a few chapters back. He wants to die. Now, I don't want to make fun of Jonah. We've said before, this is, this, this is comic sounding, and it is. But the heart is not so much to make fun of Jonah and as much as we want to notice the lengths to which God will go to get our attention as his people so that we carry his heart. Because yes, God is after Jonah. And God is after Nineveh, and God is after Jonah too. And yes, God is after the lost, and God is after you and me. See, you and me there, and me, church in the city. As we go after the lost with him, he's after us. So what is God showing Jonah about his heart? I'm all over my notes here, forgive me. God is showing his prerogative of mercy with the plant and the whale that saved Jonah, like he wanted to do to Nineveh and did, and like he still wants to do today because God's character is unchanging. Everything about how God pursues us will continually remind us of certain truths, that he ravenously loves us. He created us for relationship to him. Therefore, he seeks to deliver us through salvation. And you know what? He ravenously loves the lost. And his desire is for relationship with them. And he has provided a way to deliver them. And it's his desire to deliver them. And like Jonah, when we walk away from these truths, God will get our attention and bring us back into them, woo us back. He will get our attention, not in a vindictive way, in a loving, fatherly way that says, No, 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 no. Carry my heart. But when we walk in those truths, God will move in such power that every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow before the feet of Jesus, will come to a saving knowledge of him and declare that Jesus is Lord, even the lostest of the lost, like Nineveh. A church that is walking in the truth of God's heart for the lost, that is a dangerous church for the kingdom of Jesus. Because as we see God has basically said to Jonah, when I set my sights on saving this city, I get to do it. It's my prerogative. I'm showing mercy and I'm saving Nineveh. And once once God illustrates that to Jonah, then we're done with the book. And it ends abruptly, doesn't it? God kind of makes his, his closing statement and we're kind of like, we're left at the end of chapter 3 not necessarily wanting chapter 4 and we're left at the end of chapter 4 kind of warning chapter 5. But God's done and we can only assume Jonah gets it. Cool. Now you have my heart. There's something amazing that God doesn't just settle for us to be workers, just obeyers. He's not just looking to use us and burn us out on his great commission rampage of salvation. Chewing us up and spitting us out. You see, understanding God's heart is the X factor in our obedience. It's the difference between being an employee, being a son or a daughter. You see, an employee can do what the boss says, can execute orders. But a son or a daughter knows who the father is and can carry something of that as they outwork obedience. It's the difference between coercion and devotion. Its value. If we value God's heart, we're not begrudging obeyers. We're identity carriers of God. We're not obliged to obey. If we value God, then we take pleasure in His ways. We can trust His goodness. We can live off of His promises. We can wholeheartedly obey and expect, and unlike Jonah, celebrate when the lostest of the lost. Come to a saving knowledge of him. So God says to Jonah at the, at the end in chapter 4, here's my heart. Thank you for your obedience, but catch my heart. And he's saying the same to us. Here's my heart. I am I a am sending and saving God, your Father. So with that in mind, and this question of fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command, as we close out our, our calendar year, we're going to We're going to be preaching on some very specific ways that the Great Commission can be outworked through our decisions, just considering the Great Commission in God's heart, not not a job, but God's heart in everything that we do. We're going to get specific kind of each week, so I just encourage you to be praying into that and prepping your heart. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment quickly and remind ourselves of a few things that God has revealed to us throughout our study these last five weeks in Jonah. We're almost done promise. It's the kiss of death when a preacher says that. I know, but we're almost done. A few things. Firstly, and hopefully none of these will come as a surprise. Hopefully each one of these should hit and you just go, of course. But firstly, God is a sending, saving, redeeming God. God's heart, in case there's any question, is relentless for the lost and relentless for the refining of the church that he is sending after them. Sending, saving, redeeming God. Therefore, we as the church should listen to and surrender to God. You know, in Isaiah 55, the Lord says, my ways and thoughts are higher than your ways and thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the difference between your thoughts and mine. So we need to come to that place sooner rather than later, out of the fish instead of in the fish, that Jonah had to come to, and that is, I I surrender. We've decided, we've mutually agreed whose will will be done here. I, I surrender. Not to a dictator, but to a An all-loving and benevolent Father. And when we do that, we can risk radical obedience to the sending and saving God. Remember, we asked the question last week, who's waiting on the other side of our obedience? People like Nineveh, for whom everything hangs in the balance, who cannot tell their right hand from their left. We cannot wait for the lost to articulate their lostness enough to us that we will go to them. It's not going to happen. We need to risk radical obedience because there is a great inheritance for a people who will say, as Steve mentioned, yes, Lord, for a people who will count every cost and order every priority under what has always been God's heart, the pursuit of the people who are made in his image. And as we do that, let's keep and carry God's heart as we obey. Again, just as we saw today, We're not begrudging sons and daughters. We're not employees of King Jesus punching the clock. We are carriers of who God is, not just what he says. It's why the Great Commission, it's why Jesus doesn't leave out where he says, and I'm with you to the end of the age. It's not just a promise to take comfort in. It's a promise of what or in who we're carrying. And as we obey, let's remind ourselves to expect mightily of God. This is the essence of faith, expecting mightily of God. God calls, we obey, just like Jonah eventually did, and he moves in power. And we get the partnership and he gets the glory. Remember, Jonah proclaimed, the Ninevites believed, God. I think a church who expects God to move is a church that will see a movement of God. A church that expects God to move is a church that will see a movement of God. We've said last week, Jesus is the longing of the nations. We've we've hit on this so much. The nations have a groaning that they can't articulate, and it is only for Jesus. And they will fill it with every other possible thing. Every other possible thing. They will vote in the answer. They will protest the answer. They will create for the answer, they will educate for the answer, we will do everything possible, but Jesus Christ is the longing of the nations. And in Psalm 2, God looks us in the eye and he says, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. We can live off of his promises. And then lastly, let's just remind ourselves, man, see everything in light of the Great Commission. See it all because it's always, always been going on and it's God's idea. It's always been his heart. And we get to share in God's mission of bringing salvation to the lost. We get that inheritance. I think God is, um, I hope the Lord has spoken clearly to you with things to wrestle with. I think he has to us as a church family through this series on Jonah and I'm excited for for. Continuing, studying together this idea of partnering with God to fulfill the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. I'm going to hand it back over to Steve in just a moment. Um, but can I just say, any of these, any of these things that you're, that you're wrestling with, now is not the time to let them fall away. Now is the time to even right now forget what I'm saying and say, when do I get with the Lord to chew on this with him? Now is the time to think on that. I I need to do it. I'm not even listening to me. I'm thinking of that time. Thanks for letting me Zoom a little bit this morning. And I I hope you've enjoyed this series on Jonah. And we look forward to continuing some great specific studying of how the Great Commission impacts our life and decisions for the rest of this calendar year. Cool? Cool. Thanks. See you. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.